Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. Thank you all so much for coming out tonight. I'm Jazz Tanke, Senior Artisans Editor at Variety. I'm just not going to keep you waiting any longer and introduce... Ernie Hudson, he is so amazing, and we're going to dive in for a fun career retrospective. So come on up, Ernie, and everybody, please give him a massive round of applause. Hi. Two hundred and fifty-two credits and more to his name. I mean, decades in the industry, two hundred and fifty-two credits, and then some. I mean. Well, I think uh, first of all, me and Sam, really, uh, just I'm so touched by all you guys, you know, showing up. I wasn't sure who'd be here, but uh, but great to see everybody. And I thought we'd be able to say something that might inspire those getting started. But I'm looking out here and I realize most of you guys are here with me when we were last started. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm glad to see we're still standing and, uh, you know, we look good. Anyway, sorry. No, it's all good. I mean, there is there are some questions, so you know we'll 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 spend time answering those too. But let's just go all the way back to the beginning. Like, as a little boy, what was what were you watching? Or like, tell us about your childhood and like, were you did you always want to be an actor? Like, I think I might have fantasized about being an actor, but I grew up in a little town in Michigan, Benton Harbor, Michigan. Um, I'm sure poor wouldn't quite qualify because I never saw myself as poor, but we had no money. And so I've always worked, um, talk about child labor. I mean, I, I worked from as far back as I can remember. Um, work sort of gives meaning to my life when I'm working, everything sort of comes together. So, um, but you know, I'd watch TV. I think most of the moral lessons we learn through stories, through television, film. And so I know how important it is to sort of be able to fantasize. Um, I think for a lot of people in the arts, for me, uh, always a little awkward, you know, just um, making friends, feeling a little, you know, weird about being who we are and trying to figure out how you can be cool. And a lot of that you, I got from television. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wasn't hip enough to be with the really cool kids. Uh, I have a three-year-old <laughs> brother who is really cool, you know, and, uh, and that only makes you aware of how uncool you are because he had all the friends and he um, just uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but that I always admired that. I never had that kind of, I had to sort of force myself to go across the room. Even now, uh, when I go to even some of the industry things, I feel really, how do you go over and say hello and how do you, um, and I think that's, you know, sort of been, you know, and maybe now at 77, it's learning how to accept who I really am and not have to be, you know, something that make other people comfortable. That's, um, you know, and as an actor, 
what do I need to look like to get the part? Thankfully, um, the whole image thing has changed in Hollywood. But when I started out, you thought you had to, I always thought if I had the perfect chin, I, I would, I, would <laughs> I know, I, you know, if I just had this, if I just had, you know, if I, my hair didn't have so much curl in it or something, you know, something other than, um, and I'm glad to see we've sort of gone past a lot of that now. It's, uh, yeah. It's interesting you say that, you know, it's like how, you know, we're in an industry where we have to network, right? When we're in a room and, you know, like you're still sometimes like, how do I go up and say hello? How do, how do you go up and say hello? Like what advice would you give to the audience here? Like, well, I think the biggest thing hello. is, is, is the want. You know, when you know what you want, clearly what you want. It's hard now at my age, after all these years, it's hard for me to say what I really want, what I really like. I can tell you a dozen things that I don't like and what I don't want, <laughs> but finding the things that you want, because when you find your want, then you sacrifice for it. So, you know, I really want to meet the girl. I really want to, so I'll find a way, I'll go out of my comfort zone because that's important to me. But if you can't find that want, then it's kind of hard to uh, uh, push you it. So I have to remember when I go to places that I'm there to meet someone, they're not all here to meet me. You know what I mean? So I will go and I'll just sort of stand in the corner and smile or pretend I'm on the phone when there's nobody there. <laughs> you know, look at my watch. I've made an appearance so I can go now, you know, uh, bring my wife so I can talk to her. Not at home. Just wait till we get to the party. We'll talk there. <laughs> So it's, yeah, but you just have to go, you know, this is, it's, it's important to, uh, you know, to, but as you get older, it's, it's harder because I keep going, I'm sorry, your name again is, <laughs> I can't hold on to names. It's like, uh, you know, so anyway, <laughs> I, I, you have to catch me because I'll trill off. And, uh, no, no, it's all good. <laughs> so you graduate high school and get into acting. How did that happen? Well, you know, I think some people take the um, the obvious, less difficult path, you know, the clear path. You know, you get out of high school, you go to college, and then you these wonderful things happen. But I got out of high school, and where I was from, there was no real uh, job opportunities other than working in the factory or the foundry. Now, I don't know if you know the difference. A factory is a nice, clean place that they do nice little stuff, and they, you know, they work, and they... You know, and uh, where I'm from, those jobs were pretty much all white um, because of the segregated system that we had. And then there's a foundry where they pour iron and it's dark and it's smoky and it's hot. And so I got one of those jobs when I started my 12th grade year. So all through high school, uh, pretty much I worked, or at least my 12th grade year, I worked in the foundry. I'd go to school at 8 in the morning and leave at 12 and then rush to to go work in this foundry from two o'clock to midnight. Um, and so, um, so that was the question again, I'm sorry. How did you get into acting after so, graduating so, so from acting. high school? Okay, okay, oh, we're talking Are you about jet acting. Oh, he's see, just come back from London. You know, well, one, yeah, I guess, yeah, I was working in London and it was really a lot, but um, yeah, so I get caught up in the past and go, okay, how'd that happen? Okay, so, um, so that was, so acting wasn't part of the thing, but you got to figure out what you're going to do with your life. That's really important. Now, my grandmother raised me. She never went to school. 
which is actually surprising that there are people who never actually went to school, but she never went to school, so she really didn't understand the importance of education. Um, but now I'm about to graduate, so what can I do to really, you know, I thought I'd go to the Marine Corps. So I joined the Marines before I got out of high school. I hitchhiked to Chicago, joined in April, I was gonna graduate in June, and they were so nice to me, they waited for me to graduate. And, uh, and then I went to San Diego, and that was the first time I heard of Vietnam. This is in 1964, they didn't talk about Vietnam. And when I got there, I found out that we were actually at war, which nobody told me anything about war. <laughs> and so it was, and everybody in the platoon was gonna go to Vietnam, and they all did, except I didn't. I had uh, uh, asthma as a kid, and suddenly it started acting up, and, um, and then I started having asthma attacks every day. Um, you know, I mean, that was, I got asthma. <laughs> So finally, um, they decided to, uh, to you know, I, 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 the drill instructor ordered me to, uh, you know, you had to eat what's on you. So he said, you gotta eat. So I ate all this. It was shrimp. And I told him I was allergic to shrimp. And he, you know, he didn't believe anybody could be allergic to that little, you eat it. And so I ate it. And, and then I had this awful attack. And uh, they, uh, the guy was taking me to, to the medic was taking the sick bay and he said, man, you got that asthma, man. You know, they ain't gonna let you go to Vietnam with that asthma. You get everybody killed. You know, <laughs> you can get out of here with that asthma. And, and everybody was trying to get out, you know, but, uh, but I went, uh, I just kept going back to sick bay every day. And finally, uh, the commanding officer, they put me in a little room and he came in and he told me that, uh, he said, I'm sorry, son, uh, but we can't always have the things we want. Some of us, well, just ain't gonna make it. And I'm so sorry, but we're gonna have to discharge you. That was like the happiest moment. <laughs> but I was really afraid if I showed it, he was gonna change his mind. So, so I just stood, she was staring at him and, and he wouldn't leave. He just kept talking and he wanted to pray. So, and the tears started running down my face because I was just getting out of here. And uh, he just, he just felt, he started to tear up and finally he left. And they, so I, I ended up coming home after 10 weeks. But I really got to figure this out. So then there was a girl I had been seeing before I went to um, the Marines and she was having trouble at home, uh, kind of a difficult situation. And so I said, you know, I just really feel bad about it. You know, we could, we could get married or something. She said, okay. <laughs> so, um, so we got married. And um, I never understood why our mother was so mean to her. And, and after we got married, I found out why. <laughs> so anyway, so now I'm married. And... Uh, and my grandmother lives in the projects, and so we're staying at our, staying with my grandma in the project. My grandmother was the nicest person, very religious. She would help people in the community. The only person that she ever did not like was my wife. <laughs> and they were in the house together, and I was in the middle, and finally, after three or four months, I had to get a place of our own. But by then, she was pregnant. Um, and... Um, it took us, I mean, she was almost about to have the baby before I realized she was pregnant. That's how dumb I was. I mean, we, 
I thought I'd marry this girl, and now she's putting on weight, and oh my God, what am I going to do about it? <laughs> so anyway, so now I got a uh, son, and I was working in the foundry, and life was at an end. And um, so that's how I, so, so acting wasn't in the thing. It wasn't anywhere no. there. But the good news is, I, I, I say those things about my ex-wife, but she was actually an amazing lady and very, very smart. And she actually read books. I mean, I didn't. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, and we would talk, you know. We uh, and so the idea of going to college uh, came to mind, and um, I hadn't really considered college, but I tried to apply, and I got turned down by every. Co- I got turned by junior colleges. I got turned down because I graduated with a one point seven average. Which didn't reflect my intelligence; it just reflected my interests, um, and because I didn't see the point, and so uh, I couldn't get into college. Um, and then finally, um, eventually, I, I did go to um, a counselor and just basically asked for an opportunity, a chance, and they they let me in. Um, and how I got into theater and became acting came into play was uh, my wife and I, we, we would have these terrible fights and, um, because we were kids and, uh, I, I, I just walked out of the house and I, I just couldn't go back. I had, I got in the car, we moved to Detroit and I was driving around just not wanting to go home. And I, I passed this building and there was like a marquee and, but it wasn't a movie theater, but people were lined up. And out of curiosity, I, I got in line and, um, and it was a play and I went in called Papa's Daughter, I think, at the Detroit Repertory Theater. And uh, I got you know, my seat up front and the curtain pulled back and the lights came up and this play unfolded. And it was the most amazing thing I I'd ever seen. I mean, I'd never seen a professional play. And um, I didn't even see the plays in high school that that they did um, or go to any of the sports games because my family, we didn't sort of do that. But I saw this play and it was just bigger than, it was just, it was just. So when I got into college, uh, I needed an elective and um, I took this, this acting class. And when I walked on stage, I just knew I, I was home. You know, I, I mm. had, um, by then, uh, I had another kid on the way, and uh, I was working hard to just keep the, the bills paid. And I, I was really bad at everything. You know, when I, was, I, I mean, I was really bad. And so my, I was always afraid that as soon as they figure out that I don't know what I'm going to do, that I don't know what I'm doing, uh, I was going to be fired. Um, and so I never felt really comfortable. But on stage, I felt I was at home. And so I had to kind of figure this out. So let me just really get this clear now. So they'll give me the script and I learn the lines and then I say that and then I get paid. <laughs> I mean, you know, so um, and that's when uh, that's when I, I was I felt like I could say that prayer. You know, when I saw the play, it was just too big to even pray. I just couldn't even ask God for that because, I mean, magical people do that. But when I. It's like, okay, God, if you give me this opportunity, if you bless me to just, if I can just, I heard about how much actors make and the impossibility of it, but if 
I will honor this. I will, I will show up on time. I'll, I'll, I'll be prepared. I'll, I'll give it my hundred percent. And I just, just, you know, and I always felt it was like a love affair, a love affair that I'm going to give it all my love, but you got to kind of love me back. You know, you got to show me that, that it's, we're, we're in this together. And, uh, and it always has. So from that time on, which was like in 66 or 67, uh, I've always managed to make a living doing this thing that we do. But uh, not always the best living, but I've always managed to, you know, to, uh, yeah, to take care of my kids, my family. And, yeah. um, so anyway, and that's, uh, and I just started doing a lot of theater. Uh, Donald Hayes. My good friend from way back in college, um, he was a star in Detroit. I was like just trying to learn from him. But um, we um, we just we're on stage all the time and and learning. And, you know, you that there's a when you're you, you have to be curious. You have to, you know, to, to know that this is what I want. I, this is what I this is what I, I can ask God for. God, for me, it was very, very is very, very personal. And it is, it does know you and it will answer that, that ask. Um, and so you learn, I went to college, went to Wayne State. I, I got a scholarship to Yale. I didn't say that but a year because it was not the best place for me to be. Uh, but you, you want to learn as much as you can about it because um, you don't want that opportunity to come and you not be prepared. And now it's been, well, well over 50 years. Um, but I, I think, and you, you get things from people, you know, I had a professor, uh, Earl Smith, Earl D.A. Smith, who was an amazing man. And he, uh, but I, he said something to me, he said, you know, you really need to get this down because, you know, you're not so good looking that somebody's going to give you a job, <laughs> you know? And I go, oh, okay. I mean, I, I think I look okay, but no, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and said, and you're not really that friendly. <laughs> so you ain't gonna get no jobs from friends, you know. And so, you know, you really need to, you need to show up and, and, and show out when it's time, your turn, you got to. Um, and so I never really felt, I can, we talked earlier, make those mm -hmm. connections that way. And I'm really thankful that I didn't go down that road. I tried, you meet somebody and that's gonna, it just never really worked for me. But uh, but you really, it's you in the universe. It's you in whatever that version of God or whatever you call that, um, that uh, sort of gets you through. That was a long answer. I know. I'm <laughs> no, they're they're yeah. going to walk away with so much like knowledge and and tips from you, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. So this is sixty six, right? Sixty six, sixty seven. Yeah, when you yeah, did right, it? yeah, yeah. So your first. TV role is like in 76, 77, doing Lead Belly, like Man from Atlantis and Fantasy Island. That's like 76 or 78, right? Um, well, no, that was like in 72 or 3. Uh, because when I first started, it was, it was doing theater in Detroit and then uh, on the East Coast a little bit in Minnesota. Um, and the first movie I got was, um, I, I'd gone to Yale, uh, after the first year at Yale, the marriage ended for the most part. My kids came to, to my two boys came to live with me. Uh, and I, I ended up out here in LA, but I came out to California. Um, 
I was doing a play with a friend, a guy named Cliff Rockmore, who was a brilliant, just a brilliant director, um, who um, it was a little bit of self-sabotage, I always felt, but, but he was really amazing. And he was doing a play. So when I got out of Yale, uh, I went to Minnesota for a minute. My ex-wife was working on a PhD. And then I came out to LA to do a play. And while I was out here, I was making the rounds, trying to find an agent and do that. Uh, Michael Constantine, who passed away recently, he was on Room 222, and mm-hmm. he was a good friend. Uh, I met him at a party, uh, and um, we talk about extending himself. I, I didn't know him or anyone else there, really, but I went over to him, and I introduced myself, and I said I was from Detroit or something. You know, I'm an actor, and, and what he introduced me to his agent. Um, I didn't know this man. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he was like... Uh, Sure. So he set this appointment up for me to uh, meet his agent in in, uh, Beverly Hills. And um, I was staying at my brother's house on Cochrane and his wife went to wash the clothes at a laundromat and she just forgot all of my clothes and left it. And when I realized she had forgotten my clothes, they were all gone. So I didn't have really any clothes in um, but I had this this meeting with his agent, so I had to wait for my brother to come home because he had this nice sort of blue jean matching uh, outfit. So I, I I wanted to wear that because it was like the coolest thing I had. So, but my brother's like forty pounds lighter than I am, so <laughs> I put it on and I you know I got ready to go meet this agent and um, and I had to borrow my brother's car. To, to go there and I drove to Beverly Hills which was like I was sure was where all these rich people you know lived and they knew that I didn't belong but I went and I parked in this garage and I went to, to meet him and then I waited for like two hours sitting there waiting for him to, to see me he was in the in his office but I was sitting there and finally uh, I went in to see him and when I walked in he said it's the first off um you know, I, I, the only reason I'm seeing you is because Michael is, you know, is my, my friend and my client. He asked me to see you, so I've seen you, so you can go. And, and I said, yeah, well, I, uh, you know, because I figured we could just keep talking. I said, well, you know, but I, I just got here from Detroit, and, I, and I, I'm an actor. I got my portfolio, which is pictures of all the plays I had done. And he said, well, he said, no. He said, no, I don't want to hear it. You know, um, I, there's nothing I can do for you. Go back to Detroit or wherever the hell you come from, but and so, and I stood there because he, his desk was here and the door was there and I had walked in, I'm standing over there and it's like, and I've been trying so hard, you know? And so I said, well, you, you, you can I like um, leave my, my photo here in case somebody says, what the hell am I gonna do with your photo? What the, what the hell am I gonna do? I get this shit in the mail every day. He's, and he grazes up his trash can and it's full of these envelopes that people have sent their pictures in. And, um, and so he says, no. And then I, I, I couldn't think of anything else to say. And so I, I walked out of the office and um, I, 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 I've been telling my wife to hang on and, and I had no money and I was staying at my brother's house and, and it was like, uh, and then I just lost it. I just started crying. I just, I, I couldn't stop. I just was just crying. And then I went to the parking lot and back then you didn't pay for parking. I never heard of anybody paying for parking. <laughs> <laughs> and so I drive up to the, the guard there and he said, it's, it's going to be a dollar twenty-five. 
And I didn't have a job at 25. So I said, I don't have it. He said, what the hell are you parking for? <laughs> so I said, I, I, I don't know. I didn't know what's going to charge. He said, my man, he said, you, you come in here. Do people like you? You come in here all the time. And he just chastised me. And, and then I just started crying again. <laughs> so he finally said, get the hell out. And so, and I couldn't go back to my brother's house because my niece would always complain about I was eating up all the food. So I just, uh, now at that party where I met Michael, I met uh, uh, Tony um, Parks, who was, um, who I just met at the party, but I had her number. So I called, I just couldn't go home. And um, I went to her, her house and, and she had some vodka or something. I don't, we started, I don't normally drink, but we just started drinking. And, uh, and that's how I kind of got through the day that I went, went to my, went home to my brother's house and I just was like, this is it. I, I can't make it anymore. And then uh, I get, uh, this call and there was some people wanting to, I just couldn't deal with it. And they said, no, they called several times and it was Paramount, like Paramount. So I find out it's Gordon Parks's office and they want to see me and how soon could I get there? And uh, I go, I, I can, uh, I can be there in, uh, I, I don't know, I can be there in, in, in 15 minutes, but my brother wasn't home. And so the car wasn't there. So, so ran down the street to my friend's house and I said, I need to borrow your car. And he said, I got it. And I just snatched the keys and ran down, jumped in his car, drove to Paramount. And um, Gordon Parks was doing a movie called Lead Belly uh, with uh, Roger Mosley starring and it had just started. And so I, I, I go in and he says, well, this is a movie. He tells me about the movie. It takes place about Huddy Ledbetter, the blues singer. And he said, I really need someone who, you know, can go up against Roger because in the beginning there's this, it's this, they're competing for this girl. And uh, it's really important that, um, do you know anything about animals? And he says, horses. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I know a lot about it. <laughs> yeah. So he says, he says, it's really important. I mean, this is it's a, a scene that takes place where there's a race and you really need to control these horses, a team of horses. And I said, oh, yeah, I know, I know horses. <laughs> you know? So he says, OK, he says, and there's a big dance number. And, you know, and I really I need a dancer, but I'd rather have an actor. And uh, I saw your resume. Now, what had happened? I didn't know that Tony was his daughter. And so in the middle of my crying, that picture that I tried to leave with the agent, I left on a piano. And he came to our house for dinner that night and saw my picture and my resume and uh, saw that I had gone to Yale or whatever. And so he thought, you know, so he said, so the dancing, I can't dance. <laughs> I, honestly, I am like, the I, I really can't dance. And as I've gotten older, I really can't dance. It's, <laughs> it's really, really embarrassing. But uh, so he says, it's, it's a big dance number. And I said, he said, so can you dance? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I can dance, you know, and um, so he says, okay, so because that's, it, it starts the movie off, is really important. So I, I, I went, to, he said, just wait in the hallway, and I go in the hallway, but then I was like, oh, God. so I said, uh, uh, I went back in, I said, excuse me, Sparks, um, you know, um, about that, uh, those, those horses, um, well, I, I really don't, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know a lot about horses, but I know I can learn, and he said, so okay, uh, 
all right, thanks. I appreciate you being honest. So I, I said, oh, yeah, and about that dance. <laughs> but I can learn. I can learn to dance. Because, you, know, you know, I mean, if I just get the chance and he said, he said, oh, yeah, well, that, that, uh, that changes things. Uh, he said, wait, wait in the hallway. So I sat there and I'm waiting. And then this guy comes up to me and he says, uh, yeah, I think Gordon likes you. And uh, he's probably going to want to use you in the film. So he said, what do you think about this? What do you say um, if he wants to use you, we pay you $605 a week. That sound good? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so now I didn't realize minimum was $604. <laughs> that's the least he could have paid. So, um, so I got the job and uh, that's how I Yeah. How did you learn, did you take dance lessons? Hmm? Did you take dance lessons or? Well, yeah, I had a dance, uh, <laughs> dance teacher, but it didn't help. Now, Roger Mosley, who I didn't know, but... Um, they came to see one of the practices. And so in front of Gordon and the production team and everybody, he announces, oh man, they say all black people can dance. Ernie Hudson proved that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so then they brought a guy named Xavier. I don't know Xavier's, I can't remember his last name, but who was it? It was an amazing dancer. Xavier could dance. And so they said, uh, Xavier, you do and he just showed out, and, uh, and I really felt bad. And uh, so then I thought they were going to take the part and give it to Xavier, but but they didn't. But I really worked hard on, on that dance, and uh, and it, it looks great in the film. Um, I think, even though I also learned when we got ready to do the the scene in the film, and and they started dancing, it was like going on and on, and I was tired. And so I said, "Oh, stop, cut, cut." <laughs> And he said, what? You never say cut. I'm the director. I say cut. Don't you ever, don't you ever say cut. I've never said cut again, <laughs> ever. But I did the dance and uh, yeah, it, it looked pretty good. And I drove the team of horses. It was like, he was riding this horse. And we're going to this dance. We're like, so we're kind of after the same girl. So they, they get this wagon and I'm driving down this road. It's like, it's a bumpy road. And they got these these horses and I'm driving, he's riding and it's it's and I go through these gates where we're going to have the dance. And as I get through the gates, the wagon tips and I fall off the wagon into and hit the ground. Now, the ground is just rocks and stuff. And so they bring a stunt guy in from L.A. He looks at the scene. And he says, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so uh, Gordon said, well, you know, we really need you. He says, no, nah, man. I said, that's, you know, there's no way because you can't put any padding or anything down because, you know, the shot. He says, no, I can't do that. So Gordon looks at me and I said, OK, yeah, I, I can do it. <laughs> so we get into the scene and I'm driving his horse and the horse is going, the wagon's going. And so I decided to be really clever. I actually stand up on the seat with the horses or if you ever see the film I'm riding these driving these horses and I'm like I could die in a moment but if it happens <laughs> at least I'll be doing what I love to do <laughs> and I drove this and they put some hay down that when I come through I'm gonna fall off into the hay which of course I didn't it didn't even come close to the hay <laughs> threw my back out um but but uh but we got it done and he always um, called me Archie, which is a character. Uh, I saw him a little before he passed away, but um, 
Yeah, anyway, so I'm sorry. I just, just no, that's, it's, we, love, we love the stories, right? I, I think that it's very, very, it's very hard to, this is a business where you really have to trust. You know, you really have to trust. And, and when we second guess ourselves, that there's a part of us that knows where we need to be and how we need to be. And um, so you have to trust the universe. For me, it's, it's always been you trust God. Uh, I didn't have a dad growing up. I didn't know my father. I always say that, not because I want people to go, oh my God, he didn't have a father, but because there was a lot of kids out there who grew up without you know, their parents. My grandmother would say, but God is your father. And I go, yeah, and when at church, everybody said, God is your father. I mean, she said, yeah, but everybody don't know it. I'm telling you so you that you know it, that your father will look out for you and will answer you if you ask. And so when I, I got out, when I was saying out of high school and I realized the situation I was in, I, I basically just got on my knees and you talk to, and the universe will respond and it will guide you. And uh, that's always, always been the case. Um, when you just sort of reach the end of all the, I got no answers. I've, I've done everything. I've tried everything I know. So, um, and things unexpected from people who you would never imagine but you just got to show up and be ready in that moment for that opportunity. So, yeah. And you're working and working and then Ghostbusters comes your way. Well, yeah, Ghostbusters, you know, I've been, I, I started working. I was working, uh, I did a lot of work, some of it interesting and some of it not so, but always, always interesting, always trying to, to do the best. I did a, a movie called Penitentiary 2 that haunts me to this day. <laughs> But um, Have you seen it? But I, uh, yeah, you know, but I was, um, and I did a movie called, the, the big break came with a movie called Space Hunter. Mm. I did. Uh, I auditioned for a television show called um, Ryan's Four. It was a TV series for ABC, and it was a doctor. It was part of a doctor. In fact, I think Donald Hayes might have been up for that part. It seemed like I remember hearing your name. And, uh, but I wanted this part because I would be a doctor on television, and that was like the coolest thing. I got to get this part. So I go in and audition, and I kill it. I just know I just know I got it. And, um, and they said they really liked me, but Henry Winkler was one of the producers. He wasn't sure. So I had to go back again. So I go in, and I really nail it and they said he really liked me in the meantime I went for this movie called Adventures in the Creep Zone by this Canadian John Lafleur who was writing and producing and directing and shooting it in Canada but it was like Adventures in the Creep Zone I want Ryan's for I want this so finally I go in and I'm ready and I'm just gonna um, and as I'm going in Henry is leaving so the one I had to convince he wasn't even in the room and then um, later on that day, I get a call saying that I didn't get Ryan's four, and I was just just really because I wanted that so bad, you know. And then they say, "Yeah, but you got Adventures in the Creep Zone." And I'm like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, so I get the part, which is like Adventures in the Creep Zone in Canada, and so which means I had to be away from my son. So I'm a single dad at this point in L.A. and. Uh, but Adventures in the Creep Zone uh, turns out to be um, a Columbia film. And after a couple weeks of shooting with uh, Peter Strauss and Molly Ringwall, uh, they decide to fire John LaFleur. I didn't know if you were the writer, producer, director, you get fired, but uh, apparently you can. <laughs> so uh, they brought in a new director. And Ivan Reitman was a producer who 
um, did Ghostbusters, and uh, Harold Ramis was one of the writers uh, who came in to fix the script. And so we did that movie. It was in 3D, um, but it, it didn't. It over the years has gained a cult following, and it did okay. But I said all that to say. So I worked with them on that film. It was the first time I got a chance to go to New York and do publicity and stay at a really nice hotel. They had a fireplace in there, <laughs> you know. So, um, so that was kind of getting a sense of that Hollywood stuff. But um, almost a year later, I run into Ivan Reitman at Cedar Reitman's uh, Cedar Sinai Hospital, and I get on the elevator and and I see Ivan and I say, "Hey, see, so yeah, I'm riding down, you know," and uh, he said, "Yeah, I'm doing this movie with." Um, Billy and Danny, and uh, I don't know who Billy and Danny is, but I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's good, good. And he said, but there's nothing in it for you. So I said, okay. And then I found out they were doing a movie called Ghostbusters with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, but he had said there was nothing in it for me, so, but I heard there was part of a black guy in the movie, and so I told my agent, see if we can get, and she said, no, they don't want to see you. And so I couldn't get an interview. And then everybody I knew was going in. Donald might have even went in for it. I don't know. <laughs> but everybody was going in. And I couldn't. They wouldn't see me. Because they thought I was all wrong. Because in Space Hunter, I was just, my head was shaved. And my voice, I did a lower voice. And it was bigger than life. And he was that kind of boisterous sort of. And Winston Zedmore was, had to be part of the team and wasn't that. And so finally... Um, they uh, decided to give me an audition, and uh, I got the script, and I, I just thought, this script, uh, if I get this part, this is it's gonna be life-changing, because you know, if you're a major studio film, and it, number one, I mean, your life changes, and I got, and so I, I went in and auditioned, and I, I you know, it was one of those mic drop things. I like, I, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, you get somebody to do that. You know, and uh, and they said they really liked me, but uh, they wanted me to come in and uh, screen test for it. But I'm thinking, but you had a camera in the room, but okay. <laughs> so uh, I went back, and then they said they really liked me, and kind of come back again. So I went back again, and they said they really liked me. They really, it looks good, but gotta come back again. So now I told my kids, you know, if I get this thing, we're gonna, and we can, we're gonna have some money, and we can keep the phone on all the time. And uh, so they said, uh, yeah, they really like me, but there's a guy in New York that they are interested in. They need to go to New York to see him, and uh, and now all the enthusiasm. So then I made the big mistake: uh, never do this. I called the casting agent and said, you know, I was wondering how things are going because. Uh, I'm, I'm planning to go to Hawaii, and I and I, I don't want to, you know, miss the call if it comes in. And so when we got in negotiation, said we know Ernie really wants. He's calling the casting director, asking about it. So, <laughs> so we don't really feel like we have to pay him any real money. So anyway, I got Ghostbusters, and so it was that kind of fun. <laughs> and, uh, and it was. It was a learning experience and the best thing I could have done for myself because what I didn't realize is I had 40 years of struggle ahead and this was preparing me for that. Uh, but um, I also found out why people have uh, guards at gates and stuff because uh, people will know that you're in a big movie and they'll come to your house and say, oh my God, you're that, you, I see you, Winston Zetmore and you really live here, huh? At nine o'clock at night. And, <laughs> 
and then it gets fun. But, you know, I say, came to Hollywood to be rich and famous, but I realized with Ghostbusters, you can be poor and popular. <laughs> you can sign grocery bags in grocery stores and stuff. But anyway, that was, uh, that's part of the journey, and it's been, and Ghostbusters, we just finished the fourth, the, a new Ghostbusters. And um, now Ivan Reitman's son, Jason Reitman, is uh, sort of the head of it, in producing it, and uh, his partner, Gil uh, Keenan, is uh, directing, and, and it was a lot of fun. Bill Murray and Danny Aykroyd's back, and, yeah. uh, and it's a blessing, 40 years later, um, people still love the movie, and... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very proud of it. We can't wait to see it, um, right? How did it change your life, right? Ghostbusters opens, it becomes the biggest thing, you know, out. Yeah. Um, as far as like roles, right? Like, are you suddenly getting calls? Are you seeing better roles coming away? No. <laughs> I mean, I think part of it is the expectation because I thought, okay, because I always believe that, you know, if you're in a major movie, this is a major movie and it was number one, it's number one for weeks. Um, but yeah, and I think a little bit of it had to do with uh, not being included in the, you know, um, the promotion of the movie, you know, not being on the poster. It almost felt like I was one of the Ghostbusters sort of. Um, Originally, the original script that came in the very beginning of the movie, page seven, in fact, um, but then it was changed the day before we were shooting, and I came in on page 68. So all that was, so it was, like I said, it was important for me because it forced me to let go of whatever ideas I had. When the movie came out, I couldn't get an audition with Columbia, who produced the movie. But they invited me to parties for their their backers and stuff. They invited me to go to Bullocks and sign posters that I wasn't on. And I was under the impression that if I show them I'm a nice guy and be a team player, that they will... Soldier Story. You know, I, I, I couldn't get an audition on Soldier Story with Columbia that did Ghostbusters. But what it forces you to do is to go, okay, I got kids. Let me look at this in the long range, I started doing commercials. I never did commercials before. I did voiceover stuff. We had a couple voiceover series. Um, and I, I had to, I had to dance. I did television. I did one year, I did a television, different television series, literally every week. I mean, it was like, you know, but it was different shows and, um, Bosom Buddies and Taxi and uh, Little House on the Prairie and, and all those shows because I couldn't get an audition for a film. You know, it took me three years after Ghostbusters to, to land uh, another movie. Um, that it was a movie called Weeds with Nick Nolte. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it wasn't quite what I expected, but I find that it's, it's really taking the steps. You know, sometimes you can get a big leap and something will move you forward, but if that doesn't happen, you just keep, you keep showing up, you know, you keep, you know, you, Every audition is a chance for them to see what, you know, what I do. This is who I am. This is what I do. And uh, I had kids, so I couldn't afford to be out of the game. And I couldn't afford to say to my kids, this is America. You know, this is opportunity here. Um, 
and you can't you can't follow your dream, you can't make it. So it was important for me to to demonstrate to them what was possible. So I I, I had to show up and I had to. Um, yeah, it was. Is that what kept you going then? Because there's so much rejection, right, in this industry where you go for roles, you don't get it, or you're not get. You know, like after Ghostbusters, you know what you thought happened yeah. didn't happen. Like, how do you how do you get past the rejection? The I guess the deflated feeling you could be feeling, right? To just keep going. Yeah, sometimes it's sometimes it's just devastating. I mean, sometimes it's just it's so overwhelming. Because I think you have to believe, I don't think, I know I couldn't go into this business believing that um, there are a hundred actors as good as I am. I got to believe that I'm actually the best. There's a reason they cast me as opposed to casting that other guy. And then the other guy gets it. And so it, it, it takes a lot. Um, I, my grandmother raised me and I always say there was never a day in my life that I questioned whether or not I was loved. My grandmother loved me. She I, I never doubted that she would give her life for me. And my wife now, we've been together for almost 50 years. And now whether she'll give her life, that might be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I've never questioned. We met. She's always sort of been there in a way that the way she looks at me, it just. And sometimes she can see the better part of me that I can't see in myself because sometimes I feel like I just suck. Like, man, like, you know, I sometimes I so I'm so disappointing to myself when I don't nail it, when I don't. <clears throat> but she never sort of judges me that way. And I think when there's people who who can see you from that light, it, it just you, know, you just keep you have to show up. You know, you have to show up because. They, they remind you, but it, it's difficult, you know, this, this business to get, um, and I was working with, a, I think it was Mary Ann Alda, um, an actress. And I, as soon as I would go through periods where I would nail every job, I, I was just back to back. And then sometimes I go through a period where I couldn't get arrested. It felt like, and she said, you know, just in the Bible talks about, there's a season for all things. And this is not your time. And during that time, there's a plan for reaping, there's a plan for, uh, for planning and, and so forth. And so you go through those waves, those times, and, and you have to be patient you know, with yourself. And you have to trust that the universe will answer that prayer that you, that you ask, unless you sabotage. Um, we want to talk about your process, right? So how did you prepare for your role in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle? Well, um, The Hand Rocks the Cradle came after about two and a half years after Ghostbusters 2, because whatever that jinx was in Ghostbusters 1, it happened again after Ghostbusters 2. Suddenly, I'm, I can't find work. And, um, and then I, I read the script, and I really wanted this part. But it was for a sort of a short Irish guy with red hair, <laughs> what they were considering other other people and so you know so I thought I can I can be a little shorter <laughs> you know I can always dye the hair you know but um so finally I got an audition and um I went in and uh and I uh, Curtis Hansen was a director who was an amazing director I just he, he passed away recently but I just um 
and um, and, they, and they really like me a lot. But Disney, who was producing it, it was a uh, Hollywood Pictures, I think, which is owned by Disney. But um, but they were concerned because the movie took place in the South, and the character was mentally disabled, and they thought that with me playing the role. They were making a statement about black men or something, and so they didn't think it was politically correct to give me the job. But I really wanted the job because, I, you know, I just saw him as a as a man, um, and so uh, Curtis sent me a tape of the auditions because they had been seeing people who were mentally disabled, and he sent me this tape, and they were really thinking of going that way until the, these people came in and they would audition. And then there was one young man that came in and he was brilliant. And you could hear the excitement. It was like, oh my God, this is great. And so they asked, would he stand up and do it? And he said, no. And then they said, yeah, well, just do what you did. We just want you to stand. And then they realized maybe we should get an actor. So that's when, when we sort of, uh, but I realized with saying that, that I really had to sort of be honest about it. And um, I just visited a lot of the homes that service, you know, the mentally disabled. I met a lot of uh, people that I thought was kind of similar to. And I met a young man who was highly functioning and um, he, he had this amazing ability to, to draw these elaborate drawings, but really fun to, to talk to. And so um, I remember going to a party in Riverside um, they have these parties every like Friday night. And when I got there and everybody was so happy to see me and, and I thought it was because I was, you know, in Ghostbusters, but no, they were just kind of happy to see everybody. It was just sort of there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I think sometimes, I think when you find the essence of a character, if you're fortunate enough to kind of get that, then you can't do any wrong because you're that, you can get into that space and it's just, yeah. But it takes a while to, to find it. It's really not comfortable trying to force something that just doesn't feel right, you know. But that was one I had time to sort of research and, and um, yeah. What was your experience like making that film? It was great because uh, Curtis was just a, a wonderful, wonderful director. You know, if he... Um, came to you with something, you know that, you know, it, it just wasn't just him saying words and that as an actor, I can't see myself. So I want to trust that, that the director, um, is paying attention and that, you know, he's seeing. And, and so if he asks for something else, I want to trust that because sometimes they'll ask you to do something. You kind of go, uh, you know, my face is out here. They're not going to see you. So. Uh, and if I do it and then you use it and then I'm going to feel bad about it. So it's just kind of, so I really, you really need to trust. And sometimes the directors just don't have enough to, uh, give you that trust. Um, I, uh, I won't mention his name now, but I was doing one of these things and I mentioned asking about working with directors. And I was saying the one director was just kind of, oh man, this guy was just the worst. I mean, and I talked about him and, uh, when I finished, this young man uh, got up and and uh, said, uh, Ernie Hudson, you're an asshole. <laughs> and uh, what I didn't realize at the time was that director was his dad. <laughs> but I didn't know that, so I said, well, you're an asshole too. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, um, but yeah, but but I, I, um, yeah, you gotta you gotta trust your director. So at this point in your career, like, what advice? Like, was there a great piece of advice that you received that you were taking with you? And like, what are you learning? How are you evolving? Getting stronger as an actor, like. Yeah, I think uh, you know, there's a some disappointment because there are roles that I haven't had a chance to play that I thought I would be able to play. Um, because you really need the role, you know what I mean? I didn't say, oh, there's no big parts. Well, that's, that's bullshit. Um, I shouldn't say it like that. There, there, there aren't, I mean, all roles are important, but, but you know, come on, some of them are just more, you know, the, more, the story. And, um, and so sometimes I'm like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the boss, I'm the principal, I'm the, um, you know, some responsible character. I never really had a real job, so I'm like, why the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, and so, and I'm very happy to get the work, but sometimes it's not as fulfilling, you know, so. Um, but, you know, and I think that's why we keep going, because that one role, that one time when you can, this is what I do. On stage, I did The Great White Hope, and, uh, and it just demanded everything. That's what you want. You want to come to work, and you want to bring all of what you got you want to, you know, be a part of that. And a lot of times in TV and film, depending on who you're working with, they don't want all of you. I mean, in the hand rocks the cradle, I had to say, Ernie, you know, that, that's great. But, you know, uh, the, the guy, the young man who I kind of use a lot to in reference, he always had a little crust in his nose, you know, and he, he kind of, you know, he wasn't the most... And so they've said, no, 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 no. This, we're making a movie here. So you gotta, you know, we gotta go to makeup. We gotta make you look good. And then you can figure out a way to look bad, but we ain't having the stuff in your nose. And it's like, I said, yeah, but it's honest though. It's like, it's this way. And no. So, uh, again, I don't know what the question was. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about like, yeah, how are you evolving at this point in your career, right? And like, was there like advice from anybody you'd met along the way that you were like carrying with you? Well, you know, when I was a little kid and I didn't have a dad, so I, I, I was always looking for somebody to be like like my dad, you know, and he would like me. And, you know, and I was like really kind of a good kid. And so I'd kind of follow, you know, people around and they would say, get away from me. I'm not your dad. And, that's kind of, <laughs> and then I'd follow around. And so I was always... And when I came to Hollywood, I was always sort of looking for somebody to, hey, I'm an actor and I can always learn. And will you teach me something? And will you give me some advice? And, and uh, you know, I, I, no. Um, and I have actor friends say, oh, yeah, he took me under his arm. Um, and he showed me everything and he introduced me. No, I, I, I ain't had that. Um, so you have to learn from every situation. You have to, you, I think on the set, you have to be open to, you know, and there's always, you know, people you learn from. There's always... Adjustments, you know, it's like in flight, I would imagine, where you, you just, you're constantly having to, and you've got to fit into the story and tell the story. So, and you've always got to be open to possibly I'm wrong. Yeah. You know, possibly I need to go in a different direction here. Um, and I think that's really the key to survival because, you know, I work with a lot of actors and I'm not changing. You know, this is it and this is the way and I'm, I don't like these lines and it has to be like this and, I think if it's written and I'm playing the character, there's a reason this character is saying this stuff. So I'm really going to try to make that work uh, unless it just gets so ridiculous that, you know, but um, but my job is to is to tell the story and to hopefully lose myself. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and as you become successful, people hire you because of a certain thing you do and they don't want you to lose yourself. They want you to come, but you kind of go, yeah, but, uh, but I'm playing, you know, we, we're telling the story and, uh, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's always sort of, yeah, trying to figure out how to fly better, which is why I haven't directed. Um, I just, because I'm still trying to figure this acting thing out, you know, if I can just get it right, you know, if I can just, um, and I haven't, I haven't found that character. Uh, Jamie Foxx, when he did Ray, that was like, that was a lifetime. You get one of those, you know, and, and there are actors who, you know, those moments, I don't feel like I've had that, you know, I've worked hard, but yeah. I haven't had that, that everything I know is in that film. You know, um, and a lot of times, because sometimes I think people see you, whatever image you project, you know, I mean, I don't know what people see when they see me. I'm always amazed that people realize that I'm black. <laughs> so, but, well, we're talking here. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm a guy here who's, uh, you know, I know what I am, you know. Uh, oh, you just, yeah, you know, all you're saying is a guy, you know, I mean, I'm so, uh, yeah. Again, I forgot the question. <laughs> I'm going to move on to Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie, yeah. That was a fun show to watch. Fun character, incredible cast. Like, how did that come your way? And what's your reaction reaction when you get the script for the series? Um, you know, I, I was just, uh, when I started out, uh, Jane Fonda was, you know, I mean, she's, is legend from family. She's Hollywood. You know, we were shooting at Paramount and every day I drive to the studio and down the street is Peter Fonda theater. I mean, it's like, I, you know, that's, um, so I've always been a a huge fan and, um, an admirer and always loved to work. So to get a chance to work with her, Lily Tomlin, I just, just adored for years. And, um, it was just a you know great cast, um, and so when I got the call, my manager um, Mike McConnell was back back in the room and said uh, they're interested in um, a, a love interest for Jane Fonda, and uh, and I thought, how old is Jane? <laughs> um, but <laughs> <laughs> but I realized we're our ages were really close in age, so it's not that Jane was, and I thought, okay, yeah, you know, I mean, I, this will probably sound very sexist, I know, and I regret saying this, but you know, I mean, I was the posters of Barbarello, and I'm into you know, all this, and then they said, um, no, we've changed our mind, we're, we're looking for a love interest of Lily Tomlin, so, and I just see Lily in that big rocking chair, you know, and, <laughs> But uh, but I like I said, I'm, I'm a huge fan, and when I I, I met them, and uh, they're so professional and so cool and so nice and so pro- most people I've worked with rarely do you find someone who's not people who are good at what they do are the kindest people. People who are insecure, not really grounded, they're the ones who will always find fault with the cameraman or with somebody whoever. But people, but they would show up on point. And um, and I just Lily Tomlin, I just I just fell in love with. I just she's she's amazing. Um, I made the mistake of saying 
you know, I've talked a lot tonight about my grandmother, who I just adore. And I hadn't met anyone who kind of had that spirit, and Lily does. And so telling her, she reminded me my grandmother was not the best way of... <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I've just meant that, you know, but she is so open and so down to earth and just a joy to work with. And it's one of the highlights of my career to be able to, not because of my work, but just to be able to play with. Also, I love seeing, I love actors, you know, and uh, seeing how they, how Jane gets to where she needs to get to and how Lily gets to where she needs to get to and Martin Sheen. And I love seeing how we sort of get to that place where we show up, if we really show up, because not everybody does. But, um, and I, I, lo- I just worked with William Atherton, who played Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. And, um, and he showed up and, and it's just, and then we can dance. And it's, um, it's a little different sort of approach now with some of the, you know, people coming into the business. But, but I loved it. I just feel very honored and blessed to have had a chance to be on that show. What makes you say yes to a role? Well, a number of reasons, you know, right now at my age, um, finding something interesting to do, something that I haven't done, something that will give me a chance to, um, because we, you know, you become more aware of, um, that we all got to say goodnight at some point, you know what I mean? It's, um, Dick Clark, uh, was a wake up call for me because you looked like he was 21 for 80 years. Mm. And then one day he wasn't. So we know that uh, we have to. Uh, so in the meantime, before I get to that place, it'd be wonderful to uh, to find a role. So that's the first thing you look for. I, I look for uh, money is a part of it. You know, I mean, I I. Something, it's not the money as much as I think when they, when they kind of stretch a little bit to get you, it just shows that they can appreciate you. Um, so that, that helps. Um, and sometimes just the people. I have a film that's coming out now called, um, The Prisoner's Daughter, uh, with uh, Brian Cox and Kate Beckinsale. And, and Brian directed a couple episodes of Oz, a series that I did. So just to get a chance to, to play with him, it was, it was great fun. Uh, and a film came out a month ago called Champions with mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson. And Woody and I did a, a movie called The Cowboy Way about 20 years ago. But I love Woody. And so just to get a chance to play together, you know, I mean, but it was a time I just wanted to work. So I didn't really, you know. Uh, but now, now it kind of has to make sense because... Uh, now, you know, I think about things like, um, what are we shooting this at? Is it going to be cold? <laughs> you know, because I don't like to be cold. <laughs> Especially, and we're going to be shooting at night, 3 o'clock in the morning, in the rain. Uh, Vancouver. Mm. <laughs> That's, you know, I mean, I, yeah, you know, I, I get cold. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a blessing. So, yeah, so any, any, but those are the primary reasons for wanting to do something. Um, you, you get, uh, told that favors, you know, you do, we're doing a favor and they'll, people don't remember favors. So you gotta, you gotta find a reason. 
for, for doing it, why you're doing it. You got to do it for you. And then the only, the only option you have is to say yes or no, because if you say yes, you have to show up 100%. Don't say yes and then come here like with an attitude because you did it. It's like, I hate that, you know. I'm so glad you mentioned champions, uh, reuniting with Woody. I mean, what was that like? Were you picking up as if you were old buddies and? Yeah, you know, the people I've worked with, um, the Woody Harrelsons, Bill Murray, I, I, you know, I, yeah, it is kind of like, uh, because everybody talks about, you know, I don't have a lot of friends. Most of the friends I have are my wife's friends' husbands. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I have friends, I have people I'm close to, but I don't really go to their house. You know, what I mean, I don't know what people do. You know, I mean, I don't golf. And, you know, when I was a kid, people would just show up at your house. You know, my brother, he just he just go in your house and, you know, but um, but yeah. So so we meet on the set, you know, and we talk about getting together. But rarely does that happen, you know, um, but um and to get a chance to work together, doing things together. Uh, other people, I did a, a movie with Nicolas Cage called Retirement Plans coming out the end of July. And um, I just, you know, I never worked with him before, but I just love his energy and uh, he's such an interesting guy. So, um, yeah, that's, that's fun to, yeah. uh, to get a chance. And now um, I do this television show called Quantum Leap and it's just such a, Great cast of people. Yeah. Really, really. Um, yeah, I just feel very, very uh, blessed to really work with some really good people. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk about Quantum Leap, but this is a question from um, Joni B. Any advice you for actors who start late in life after 30, 35? Like, what advice would you give them? Well, this is a wonderful business. You know, you don't have to think in terms of retiring or forced retirement. You know, um, you'll be retired long before you realize it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, how many years has it been? No, oh, my God, is it five years I haven't worked. Maybe I'm retired and didn't know it. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, as characters, you know, we're, in, we're storytellers. And so you need... Um, um, yeah, you know, I, for me, um, yeah, jump in the game, but, but be prepared as best as you can be prepared. Don't jump in the game because it'll be fun. You know, you get some pictures. It's more being acting than just getting some headshots. Um, but, um, but I, I think if it got to a point where I really struggle with lines, because that's the basis of everything. If I, you know, when it gets to a point where I can't retain, um, that would be the time for me to say, you know what? Because it's just, my heart goes out when I'm working on the set and I see people just, the brain just, um, then then I think it, for me, but some people don't mind it, but it's, to me it's really awkward. To, yeah. yeah. So let's talk Quantum Leap. Um, you know, what drew you to this? What made you want to say yes to this? No, and the, yeah, the money. <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, I, I love the franchise, and mm. and I used to watch Quantum Leap with uh with my kids when it was. It's one of those things where you know families can watch. I love shows that crosses generation. Ghostbusters is one of those. I see little kids who love Ghostbusters, and 
people in the 90s who love it. So it crosses generations. The Quantum Leap is one of those shows that um, you can watch it with your family. You can talk to your kids about it. What if? What if I was that guy in that situation? How would I handle certain things? And it sort of reminds us of the choices we make that will impact the rest of our lives. And um, so I was just very happy that they asked me to come and join and be a part of it. Yeah. And Herbert Magic Williams, you know, he's so well written. So shout out to all the writers for this. But like, what is your process when you get to live with a character over, you know, a series as opposed to like a movie where, you know, the beginning and the end, right? Whereas a TV, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. Yeah, the writers sort of surprise um, and you kind of have to trust them. Because they'll bring in things that you hadn't thought about and you kind of go, I'm not sure if I, you know, so. But uh, but it's it's great. What I love about a series that you don't get on the film is you get guest casts who come in and it's great to play. Um, to play with people who are really good at, you know, and um, so it's like a real learning um, experience to get to, you know, show up different episodes, all that. TV's uh, very good. If it's good television, if it's good writers, but. Um, um yeah. Uh, did you, with this character, like, did you like give him a backstory? Like, what's your your process for? Well, I, I'm, I don't do as much as I used to because I used to, you know, what is his favorite color? What food does he like to eat? You know, <laughs> and all that background stuff, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. I, mean, I, I think he probably should. I'm just probably lazier now. Than, but I, I, I don't know if. Um, I think it's a, there's a sense, there's a spirit that a character has that may be a little bit different than yours. There's an energy, um, and you kind of got to feel around to find that, you know. And 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 directors sometimes will want to tell you, but you you know what's real, and it takes a minute to sort of find it. Sometimes you find it through wardrobe, but sometimes you find it through three o'clock at night a thought comes. But but like I said, to to find that place that you feel authentic. Um, and this was one because it was kind of based on the character that was in the original series. And so now, and who he is and how he got here and what's happened in his life, all those things are fascinating discoveries that, that you know, that the audience don't know, but you will tell through your performance, you hope. Yeah, and it's been picked up for a second season. Yeah, we got picked up for a second season, and that's um, that's uh, very good because I just bought another house. And um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's it's great. And it's a great cast, and um, yeah, that, I, and maybe the most fun thing of what we do is you really get a chance to work with people who, just like you, they've dreamed of this, you know, to be a part of something that. That matters. And wherever I go in the world, I was just like just working in the UK, but um, people, they see this stuff, you know, and it has meaning somehow uh, in a way that I don't totally understand. But it's just to me, it's a blessing to be able to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, speaking about that, like, you know, you, you're just in London. Like, do you have a fan encounter or an encounter with somebody that's just really stuck out? with you, whether it's something they said profoundly or just a weird experience where you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, well, they're always a little weird. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, I think weird for me because I don't quite understand it. Um, 
But when I first came out to L.A., um, my brother, who I had mentioned, um, he was kind of he always liked the fact that I was an actor because, you know, nobody decides to be an actor. So this is when I was really just getting started. And I, I mentioned my portfolio. But he knew a guy named Stu Gilliam. And Stu had done a couple episodes of Sanford and Son. Stu had a shoe store in the Crenshaw district. And so my brother was excited to take me to meet Stu because maybe he could get me some work or something. You know, he's going to introduce me to Stu. So I went to Stu's um, shoe store and I was showing him my portfolio with all the pictures of plays I had done. And this limousine pulls up um, and everybody's kind of watching. Who is this? And the guy, uh, you know, he gets out, you know, and he's dressed to the nines and he, he kind of struts in and everybody's kind of watching. And he must be important to me because like, wow. So I said, hey, how you doing? Hi, I'm Ernie Hudson. I just got here from uh, uh, Detroit and, I, and I, I'm acting and I, I got my portfolio here. And, uh, and he's making fuck away from me with that <laughs> shit. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and, and I didn't, it was just so uh, awkward. But I wasn't so embarrassed for me, but I was embarrassed because my brother was there. And so I said, I will never, ever, ever do that to somebody. You know what I mean? Even though sometimes they get a little, you know, kind of out here and want to quote every line in Ghostbusters. Remember? In Ghostbusters, <laughs> and then when he came out and you said this and he said, he said, I'm waiting. And you said, no, you're not. And I, and <laughs> but it's okay. I, I appreciate fans, you know, um, especially now they have the conventions. And um, so they get a chance to talk and tell their story. And it's kind of nice to have a space that's set aside for that because when you're on the street, it's, it's a little over you're out. You know, my kids now, I love going to the beach, especially on a hot day and people are out there. My kids are like, no, dad, it's going to be too many people. And I realize the reason is because when we go out, then fans will come and they get cut out. And I'm trying to be polite. But on the other hand, I'm here to spend time with my kids because, you know, and it's just so it's a different experience yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, this is from Erin, who wants to know some tips on daily tidbits that help your artistry and craft. But she would also like to know when is Family Business Season 5 going to start filming again? Oh, oh there you go. Family Business. Trying to make sense out of everything, but um, but hopefully it'll all, you know. And um, So it's nice to be able to do that. Uh, they have two series sort of happening at the same time. And um, they have a big blockbuster movie coming out and they have three features that I just finished coming out in a couple of months <laughs> to be yeah, no it's uh, yeah it's kind of a fun time you know with the strike going on but I'm still managed to work <laughs> <laughs> no it's uh, so hopefully we'll we'll go back and it'll it'll be uh, it's a very family business one of those shows that I probably wouldn't have done but uh, it, it sort of reaches an audience that uh, I really appreciate, you know. Uh, Grace and Frankie brought in a different audience, yeah. um, that uh, a different sort of fan base. And uh, Family Business brought in another kind of, so you know, Ghostbusters. So it's people kind of appreciate your work because I've been fortunate to do a lot of different kind of movies and different genres. And, um, you know, uh, friends who were, primarily action heroes or comedians or whatever, but it's nice to have a sort of variety of different, different things that people appreciate. Yeah. Do you have any, I think, do you have any tidbits and 
daily tidbits that help get you through your artistry and craft? You mean like a my, mantra? Like oh, uh, yeah, I wake up every morning going, I, I can do this, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I just get out of bed, <laughs> just, just. No, um, no, you know, it's life. It's uh, this is this is life. This is um, it's uniquely yours. And my grandmother said, uh, God gave the keys to the kingdom to his son. So we're all his children. So we all have the keys to the kingdom. But each kingdom is uniquely different and yours is uniquely yours. And um, so just remember to Bill Murray said to me uh, on Ghostbusters, one we just did, he said, uh, I was doing this scene and he said, have fun. And I think you suddenly have to remember that, uh, yeah, you know, I, I signed up for this. So remember to enjoy it because none of this stuff lasts. And um, so just remember to, to have fun and um, whatever you do, but especially I think in this business. And, uh, and, and remember that we are the blessed. You know, whatever you do, I don't care. To be able to, to work in this area for me is like a true, true blessing. Incredible. Okay, this is from Joshua who asks, can you describe an especially difficult or low moment in your career and how you navigated your way out and protected yourself um, from repeating a similar similar moment as you continued forward? How I protected myself from creating a similar moment? Moment, moment as you continued forward. Like something bad that happened and I... Um, yeah, difficult or low moment in your career and how you navigated your way out of that. You know, I, I don't know when things, like I said, when things just reach a point where you can't make sense out of it and none of it makes sense and it should be different than it is. You know, I just, um, you know, I believe in prayer. You just go, you know what, the old adage that this too shall pass. Uh, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. You know, I've given everything that I can and, um, and now can to be patient. The biggest thing that friends I grew up with who are no longer here, uh, they weren't patient, you know, and they, they wanted to, you know, things aren't happening, so you're going you're gonna to do something. And usually that's something that you decide to do is going to undermine and destroy everything that you work for. So the thing is not to panic. Don't go rob the, the local grocery store. You know, that, um, you know, don't, don't. Don't go out and get drunk and then the call comes in and you miss it because you weren't anywhere around. You know, just don't, you know, just hold on to and just trust. And that's, that's the hardest thing. And, and also, and don't take it personal. You know, I, I, I work with people and I kind of, I go home and I tell my wife, I said, you know, it's funny. This guy was like weird. And I said this, and he said that to me and it's like, I'm like, what? It's like, it's almost like he, he attacked me and I would say, and Mark said, well, is, is it possible he was high? And I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. It was like, you know, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with, I don't know what people are doing. People in their own world. And they, you know. And Let me ask one of the things about this business, too. It's like we touch people on a, on a it's, it's beyond the conscious level. 
And you remind people of somebody that did something to them when they were in the seventh grade. You know, I don't know. And so there's a lot going on and um, and you can't understand it. So you just have to trust that, you know, just wish the best for them. And if they're really being really rude to me, I know that there's something that's not well in them. And uh, and and that's OK. I don't have to. Uh, when I was a kid, I think because I didn't have a dad, my first response was to fight everybody, to fight everybody and beat them up so bad that they would never even look at me or even think to say something. You know, just 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 I will kill you. <laughs> I even dealt with my teachers that way. Like, don't even. But I you can't beat everybody up. You know, and um, and when you come to Hollywood, is it really worth throwing your career away? You know, because sometimes you want to. But um, yeah, so then you just go, no, that's it's there. They're having a, they're having a moment, but I can't let that cause me to do something that's going to take me out of the game. You got to stay in the game. Once you're out of the game, it's it's over. So, you know. And little things can take you out of the game. I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on that note, Ernie Hudson, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SAG After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation and reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG After Found. We'd love to hear from you.